If I mentioned Aslan, the White Witch, and a magical wardrobe, what would I be talking about? Does anyone know the story? Do you know the book by C.S. Lewis? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know the story. I'm sure you do. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? It's a classic. And if you know the story, you know that four children find themselves in a magical land filled with talking animals and mythical beasts. But it's also a land, Narnia is also a land that is oppressed and it's in conflict. And the children soon find themselves having to take sides. Who are they to believe? If you remember the story, the youngest, Lucy, arrives in Narnia first. And she meets Mr. Tumnus, who is a fawn. And Mr. Tumnus explains to Lucy that it's always winter and never Christmas. Why? Because there is a wicked white witch who claims to be queen. And she's a nasty person. Now her older brother, Edmund, he then arrives in Narnia by himself. And he ends up meeting the white witch first. And the white witch has a very different story. She claims that she is the rightful queen. And even though she's hard, she's benevolent and kind. And she invites Edmund to return with his three brothers and sisters so that they can rule on the throne together. Now, one of the tensions of the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, is which story are the children going to believe? Are they going to believe Mr. Tumnus to say that the white witch is wicked? Or are they going to believe the white witch to say that she is the rightful queen? They have to make a choice. And it's a bit the same for us when it comes to some of the big decisions, the big picture questions in the Bible. For instance, on, uh, when it comes to the empty tomb, there are two stories in the Bible. Two stories explaining the empty tomb. One is true and the other is a lie. And just like the children in Narnia had to make up their mind which was true, Mr. Tumnus's story or the White Witch's story, so we too have to make up our mind about the empty tomb and which story is true. Because whatever one is true, the other is a lie. So I'll read two accounts of the empty tomb and you have to think which is true and which is a lie. And they were accounts actually that I read just briefly before. So here's the first one. Is this true or is it a lie? <clears throat> there was a violent earthquake. This is Matthew 28. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And then he said, uh, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. So that's the first story in the Bible that tells us why the tomb was empty. But do you know there's a second story as well? Which one are we going to believe? And the second story is found in Matthew 28, 12, where the guards and the chief priests say this, the disciples came during the night and stole away the body while we were sleeping. 
Whoa, which one is it? And just in verse 15, And this story about the body being stolen has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So which one is it? If you ask a Jewish person today, 2,000 years later, why the tomb was empty, most Jews will still say that the disciples came and stole the, the body away. Whereas if you ask most Christians, they will say Jesus rose from the dead. So which one is true? Well, you have to decide. And just to confuse things, there's a third story as well. This is not in the Bible, but Muslims, they believe that Jesus fainted, that he was unconscious, that he was still alive when they put him in the tomb. And during the night, he revived and came alive. And then he left and he went to Spain, married Mary and had lots of kids. So we've got three stories for the empty tomb. One, that he was just fainted and was alive again. Two, the disciples stole the body. Or three, he rose from the dead. And just like the children in the Narnia story, we have to make our mind up which one is true. Now if I had the time, we could go through some very logical arguments and evidence to show that the empty tomb is because Jesus rose from the dead. Briefly, 500 eyewitnesses. We read that in 1 Corinthians. Jesus appeared to 500 people. And when the Bible was written, a lot of those people were still alive. And yet they didn't say that's not true. Uh, second of all, um, 11 out of the 12 disciples all died a horrible death where someone said to each of the disciples, different times, um, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? And they said yes, and they were killed. Would you die for a lie? If the disciples had hid the bodies away, would you then die for a lie? And thirdly, which I find really interesting, is that the Bible makes it clear that the women were the first people to see Jesus. And in Bible days, women weren't highly thought of. They couldn't testify in a court of law. They were considered to be bad witnesses. Now, we know that's not true, that most women were probably better at observing things than us guys. But in those days, you would never have a woman as your key witness. Now, those are some logical reasons. Clear evidence, actually, historical, historically, that Jesus rose from the dead and that these other two stories are not true. However, I want to... I want to, instead of looking at a head thing, let's look at a heart thing. Let's look at how, let's look, go back to the lion and the witch in the wardrobe and look at a very subjective evidence, a heart evidence. How do we feel about this? In the lion and the witch in the wardrobe, the four children eventually come to Narnia and they have to make up their mind which story is true. Is the witch wicked or is she good? And they find themselves, if you remember the story, at Beaver's house. And as they're talking and the Beavers are explaining, they use the word, they talk about Aslan. Do you know who Aslan is? Can you remember? That's right, he's the lion. He's the, um, he's the son of the emperor over the sea, the great lion Aslan. And do you know that C.S. Lewis in the story tells us how each of the four children felt when they first heard the name Aslan. 
Peter, the oldest boy, instantly felt brave and adventurous when he heard the name of Aslan. Susan, who's the oldest girl, the oldest sister, had a sense of a wonderful strain of music lingering in the air when she first heard of Aslan's name. Lucy, she felt like it was the first day of the summer holidays. The first day. You know when the bell rings on the last day of term four and you've got all of the summer? You remember those days? That's how Lucy felt when she heard the name Aslan. And finally, Edmund. Now, Edmund, we know Edmund. He was a traitor, wasn't he? When he heard the name of Aslan, he felt a, a sense, a deep sense of horror when he heard the name Aslan. Now, each of the children would later meet Aslan and they would find those feelings to be true. They were validated. It was a heart thing. So, how do you feel when you hear the name of Jesus? Are you moved when someone speaks his name? Now, some of us have heard the name of Jesus in church since we're growing up, and maybe, maybe it's a bit over-familiar, but if you just stop, just stop and think of the name Jesus. Does it move your heart? What about the empty tomb? What emotion is evoked when you hear the story that he was raised from the dead? When you hear about Jesus being raised from the dead for you, does it make your heart feel adventurous? When you hear that Jesus was lifted up in glory, does that sound like a beautiful strain of music lingering in the air? When you hear that Jesus died on the cross for you, and that he will come back and take you into glory? Does that make you feel like the very first day of the summer holidays? For some people, when they hear the name of Jesus, it fills them with dread. How do you feel when you hear the name of Jesus? This Easter, we celebrate the empty tomb. And though there are many robust, logical pieces of evidence that point to the empty tomb being from the resurrection, one of the reasons why I believe in Jesus, and I think you do too, is because his story and what he does profoundly moves me to the bottom of my heart. For like the children, Peter, Susan, Edmund and Lucy, once we hear the beautiful name of Jesus, once we taste and see that Jesus is good, we are never the same again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, some of us have to say sorry because we have known Jesus' name so long that, his, that it doesn't thrill our heart, <laughs> that it doesn't move us in the way that it used to. And so we pause and say we're sorry and that we ask that you'll give us a French, fresh sense of how beautiful Jesus is. The cost that he paid, the price that he paid, so that we would be set free. Move us to the very core of our hearts, Lord, so that we feel brave as a lion, that we hear the beautiful music, and we know that when we meet him with glory, it will be like the first day of the summer holidays 
that will stretch out forever. We thank you for this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.